<laughs> there's a reason why. I, I halfway think Iraq Vet is uh, it's the initiation. If you're new to Iraq Vet, you go next to CMMG, and where you're like just loud as can be, and they're like, "Oh, not next year." Kurt and I plotted for the longest time to figure out what we could get louder than your gun and put it next to you, so it was more hateful. We actually had comp- competition this Did year you? at Iraq Vet, so yeah, this, this, he actually like went to his truck or something and got something special out and came back because he's like, I don't have anything on the table loud enough. So, but, <laughs> all right, uh, n- enough wasting the good stories for now. Yeah. We can have this during the podcast. <laughs> this right. is fun. So, okay, so we'll just roll into it. So we have today our good friend Mike from CMMG, who's been there for ever. Yeah, a li- uh, little over eleven years. That's um, that's rare. In this industry, uh, it's a good company. I, I like where I'm at. I don't plan on going anywhere. So, why don't you go ahead and give us kind of the backstory of you, backstory of CMMG, and how you're doing today, and all the fun stuff? We're jumping right into it. Um, backstory of me. <laughs> well, hang on. How long is this podcast? <laughs> um, I'm old as dirt. <laughs> but, um, now, so I've been with the CMMG companies uh, for, uh, like I said, a little over 11 years. I remember my hire date because it was 9-11. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the Benghazi date. So I was actually hired on 9-11-12. And then after that all happened, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely never going to (laughs) forget my my hire date. Uh, But when it comes to, you know, the industry, uh, I've been in the firearms industry since, I want to say 2007. Uh, So I actually... uh, I started by working at a little local gun shop. Uh, I just, you know, I I had friends at a previous job that took me out shooting handguns, and I quickly got addicted to shooting handguns, and I frequented and uh, became a member of our local range. And I was there anytime I had any spare time. Um, and then I started buying a bunch of guns there, and then a position came open, uh, hopped on, became assistant manager of that place. Um, went through, became a local firearms instructor, uh, went through like the university of Missouri's law enforcement training Institute, which is their police Academy. Um, I took their instructor program. So I actually went through that to become an instructor. So my credentials hold a fair amount of weight in the state (laughs) of Missouri. We'll just say it that way. Um, and I left there, went to work for Midway USA for a little while. Um, and then helped another friend out with a business and, Ran into one of the owners of CMMG at a MMA fight, and uh, I've actually, I've actually known the owners. Uh, we met in church thirty plus years ago, um, and I ran into him at an MMA fight one night. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Hey, I'd love to work for you know your gun store." And a couple of days later, I get a call saying, "Hey, can you come in and talk to me about working at the gun store?" <laughs> so I uh, got in there, um, just really. Uh, worked hard, made sure that they knew that I was there to support them and to help them grow any way they could. And I was dedicated to the growth of that company. And within a few months, I became the manager, uh, did a little local radio show on the weekends talking about guns and stuff. Uh, they found out I can actually speak decently in front of people. Uh, I learned the product well. They took me to SHOT Show. And then I kind of just have carved my own path uh, within the company. So the rest, as they say, is history. You know, I get to, I get to come do fun stuff like this. I get to go to things like Iraq Vet Shoot. You know, I do Shot Show uh, when we used to do that. A uh, ton of fun stuff. So, 
What is your official title over there? Um, I was like, what is it this week? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, PR and strategic partners manager, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I just try to watch uh, the PR side of things and I pair up with different companies and industry partners and stuff to see how we can work together to help, you know, help them grow their side of things, us grow our side of things, and we all share a mutual message. So, uh, you guys started off in Fayette, Missouri. Yep. And now Did you're- Did you say misery? Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> I thought you said misery. No, no I love- <laughs> As long as it's not St. Louis, I love Missouri. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah two, 2002 in Fayette, Missouri, actually on the owner's uh, land. So kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It was, uh, yeah, it's uh, the the owners, uh, you know, they, they took their love of firearms and started, uh, started manufacturing with a few family members and then slowly brought on some more, uh, more staff and kept growing. And then the family building, it just had to grow. You know, they kept kept putting more stuff in the building, but they didn't make the building any bigger. So they were adding floors in places that there might not necessarily need to be a floor, but it could fit, we could fit an office or something in there. <laughs> and it was the proverbial stuffing 10 pounds of crap into a five-pound bag. <laughs> uh, and we just kept growing and growing. And we since we were out in the middle of nowhere, if you had inclement weather, you know, the UPS or FedEx might not be able to make it. Employees might not be able to make it. You know, roads got flooded to get there. Uh, so it was kind of tricky on on how to get in and out of there at times. Um, as we started producing more and more and doing more things in-house, like we started turning our own barrels and stuff. Well, we didn't even have the power grid to be able to handle those machines. So we had to do that off-site. And then in 2016, um, we found a nice abandoned factory in Boonville, Missouri. And we packed everything up and moved to Boonville. So, and uh, when we got to that place, it was, I'm using nice round numbers, around 40,000 square feet. And I remember looking at it going, look at all this room that we have, you know, the the, uh, stepbrothers, we have so much room for activities. (laughs) Um, And we quickly filled that. And then last year uh, we completed our expansion of an additional 30,000 square feet. Uh, so we have one side that's nothing but machining. The other side is production. And then you guys also, if I'm not mistaken, open to your own range and kind of cool hangout spot for people to come out. Yep. We have a place uh, we affectionately call the outpost. Um, it is some acreage on the South side of the, of Boonville. And, uh, we have our own clubhouse where we can bring people in and, um, you know, just cater events and then, Right down the hill from the clubhouse itself, we have a range. It's covered, concrete shooting area, ceiling fans, Wi-Fi. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and we, we, we cater to be able to have, like, content creators come out and be able to have a good usable space. And we have, like, 50-yard and 300-yard, you know, shooting ranges. So, Yeah. Um, so products kind of have gone kind of wide and, and good. So if I remember, CMMG first started off with the 22 LR kind of bulk conversion kits for the AR. Well, I mean, technically we started with a 5.56 AR. True, but right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think one of the first things that really kind of uh, that popped up on people's radar uh, as far as doing something a little outside the box uh, for an AR was doing the 22 conversion kits. And then it kind of just went from there, and then the, the Mutant, or <laughs> yeah. the, the MK-47. Yep. And yeah. That, uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, the most hateful thing if you're a, a <laughs> vendor at a range day next to y'all. But Right. Um, yeah, so it was late 2014, early 2015, uh, we came out with the Mark 47, which was um, you know, our take on an AKAR hybrid. Uh, so um, our owners are big AK, AK guys, and but we build ARs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they wanted to do a 762 by 39 AR, what we think is the right way, uh, because for one, you got the 762 by 39 round. It's a tapered round. It needs the AK magazine. It's designed to feed in that thing. There are millions of those things on the planet. They work well. Okay, it's got to take the AK magazine. Um, the other thing is, back when we introduced it, um, you know, metal development, metallurgy and stuff was still coming along. It, it still is now. Um, but if you took a standard 5.56 bolt face and you milled it open to be able to take 7.62 by 39, you made for a very weak bolt face, um, especially if you're running steel case ammo all the time. You're looking at, you know, things being prone to the ejectors and things like that being prone to fail, you know, rather quickly because they're not as beefy as they could be. So we took ours, uh, we took our 308 and said, hey, that's beefy enough. <laughs> and then we shortened it up and we made a mid-sized platform that takes AK magazines as a really beefy bolt. And it's the, the Mark 47 was born. And then after that, you guys kind of got into the uh, radio delay blowback and then the, the, the descent and all those and yeah, five, so, seven and adding a bunch of new stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's just, we're, we're not happy with just, you know, sitting back and just offering new five, five, six and 300 blackout versions. We want to kind of push ourselves. So, uh, when we came out with the radio delay blowback, uh, we initially released that in 45 ACP because the nine millimeter market, we already had one. I mean, we had a traditional blowback or straight blowback nine millimeter. We're like, okay, we don't need to tackle that yet. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's come up with something fun. And nobody really had 45 uh, ARs. So we started looking at that and we're like, okay, well, it has, it has too much for traditional blowback. Uh, but it doesn't have enough pressure for DI. So we had to try to figure out a way to get around that, and the radio delay blowback was born from that. And then we just found out that it lended itself to all the other pistol calibers and things like 5.7 quite well. And it really, the nice thing about it is, since you're almost still using a traditional AR bolt carrier, uh, you have a lot less reciprocating mass, um, so you don't have as much of a recoil impulse. Uh, so that's one of the things that I found um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it. The first time I ever shot a nine millimeter AR, I already had a five, five, six and I went to a range and they had a nine millimeter. I'm like, oh, I want to shoot the nine millimeter AR. And it had more punch in my shoulder than a five, five, six did. And I'm like, hang on, this does not compute. My brain did not process the, the, you know, bolt mass moving as to the felt recoil. So we, we tamed that down. And then, uh, a little over a year ago, we came out with the descent which is our compact action, so the bufferless AR system. So, yeah, we're, we're constantly in. And then actually as of, um, depending on when this airs, but yeah. as of when we're recording this, yesterday, um, we so November 7th, to be more specific, uh, we actually just released the Mark 47 in the descent. So we have the AK Magazine, you know, mid-sized platform, over, overbuilt bolt uh, in the whole bufferless system. Yeah, we were... Kaylee and I were just out in Tennessee hanging out with the uh, big kid. Oh, yeah. Steve was talking about it. And I was like, Steve, this is, he had one of the uh, 
Oh, what's that special coating you guys did? The oh, the the putina. Yeah, the putina gun, and I'm like, this is the sexiest thing I've <laughs> ever seen. Yeah, we do uh, we do a few uh, special coat coatings every once in a while for uh, sometimes for like big box stores if they want to do like a special run. Uh, but that was uh, it was actually I actually want to say Steve is the one that named it. Did he? Um, so he actually he was out at our facilities in February when we released the nine millimeter descent. And we had a few different paint options um, to possibly choose from if they wanted to get a gun in one of those paint options. And there was like kind of like a Rhodesian, you know, um, camo. And there's a few different things that were kind of floating around. And collectively, everybody picked up on that like weathered or patinaed finish. And I'm pretty sure it was Steve that dubbed it Putina instead (laughs) of Patina. Uh, So (laughs) it it just kind of stuck. No, that's great. So... If anybody's been to a range day with you, you guys are the staple of most range days being the loudest and the au- the most awesome booth. To hang we, out we, at. That's a badge of honor. We right. love. We just we know we we know what people expect of us at those range days, and we just support it. So there is something that travels with you mm-hmm. to every range day that has this legend behind it. And that would be the cooler. The, the Mark the cooler. <laughs> yes. goes into. Yeah. So how did this legend of this cooler come about? Well, um, honestly, uh, it, it, it's kind of a funny story. So I, I am the person that behind the scenes coordinates all of our events, like the shot shows, the NRA shows, you know, traveling to range days, traveling Iraq vet. Unfortunately, I've had more times than I would like things not arrive. Uh, so send crates of ammo to shot show and you show up at range day and a crate's missing. And I'm like, wow, there was only like, you know, 20,000 rounds of ammo in that crate (laughs) and it's on a dock somewhere. Um, or I'd go to Iraq vet or someplace and the, the crate for everything would have not been delivered on time. So my answer to that is I'm going to start driving to these events myself and it's not going to, if, if, if I don't make it, we have big enough problems, you know, that the guns aren't there. I'm not there. Nothing's happening. Um, so actually, the cooler was literally my food cooler for the drive down. <laughs> and I had like, you know, water and stuff in it. And we noticed that people were just running the gun so much. It was getting so hot you couldn't handle it. And gloves would only do so much. And we couldn't let the gun be down very long because you've been to the range days. We always have a line. Oh, yeah. Like people are just like. I'm, I'm going to shoot that thing. You know, if I don't care how long I have to wait, I'm in this line. I'm going to shoot that thing. And it would get so hot that people just couldn't even touch it. So we filled it with water, and we literally just started dunking the Mark 47 full auto in the cooler to quench it, cool it off really quick, and then immediately put a magazine back in and let people start shooting it again. Um, <laughs> so it just kind of became the staple. People love seeing us torture that gun. And then there was one year uh, – a car caught on fire at the back of the range. And as luck would have it, we had water. (laughs) And one of our guys grabbed the cooler and just took off running down range to start pouring the water on the fire. So we became like the fire brigade for Iraq too. So it's it's just a ton of fun. So yeah, there's, there's a lure behind that cooler. And if we don't bring that cooler, I'm not sure what people would be more mad at if we didn't bring the cooler or if we didn't bring the full auto Mark 47. Oh, that's a tough one. I didn't. Honestly, probably the Mark 47. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. While I'd like to think that the cooler is all that, yeah, it's still not the Mark Forty Seven. What is uh, you've you've brought that Mark Forty Seven almost everywhere. What's the round count on that? Well, I finally retired the original. Did you? Yeah. So uh, I had one that I was taking from event to event to event, starting in twenty fifteen up until I want to say twenty one, um, and. We the funny thing is we never actually kept a solid count. We just know, hey, I went to this event with this much ammo. I came back with none and had to buy more, or <laughs> you know whatever the situation was. So we estimate it was north of two hundred thousand rounds um, oh through that gun with wow. um, all all still original barrel, original bolt, original upper and lower. Um, things like ejectors and extractors and hammer and trigger pins and stuff had been replaced because those they're going to get beat up. Yeah. Um, but it still had rifling. It just wasn't engaging the projectile any longer. So, uh, we were seeing, we were seeing keyholes at pretty close yardages. I was like, okay, just to be safe, let's just go ahead and retire it, which made some people upset. They're like, well, why don't you just rebarrel it? I'm like, cause then it's not the original gun. I was like, I can legitimately say that gun had this many rounds through it. Um, if I replace big parts like that, it's no longer the original gun. Where's that gun now? Um, I believe it's in one of the owner's offices. Okay, so it's it's hanging out. It somewhere. has not been decommissioned. <laughs> it has just been retired. <laughs> so uh, to replace it, we actually built twins uh, to replace it. So that if one gets a little hot, we can grab another one while that one's cooling down. We still quench them in water, but yeah. That's that's insane. Two hundred thousand rounds. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to give my my story of first meeting you guys. I was at the Iraq Veteran Shoot the first year that I worked at GOA. So that would have been 2019. Okay. And, um, very much the initiation. We were the row behind you guys Mm -hmm. and people would just grab us and be like, we want to talk about such and such issue. And we would like go to the parking lot to have conversations because it was, it was an incredible feeling. Um, because you, you definitely feel that, that through your entire body, like, um, It's it's a it's quite the yeah you cannot time. you cannot have a conversation when, no when, anywhere when, near when, it. <laughs> anytime we're set up on a range do not have a conversation next to us because you're just not going to have it so people will try to come to our booth and try to interview me I'm like here <laughs> 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 have you heard us today <laughs> it is the staple of every IV88 shoot where it no matter where you are on the range you know that. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're always we're always over on the far on the far right side because we actually have that pile of steel um, that the guys that uh, I'm not, this isn't too vulgar um, the uh, the guys that actually own the range say there is a pile of mutant poop uh, that just stays <laughs> over there on the hill. They've never um, done a magnet or anything and pulled it all up. It is it is like officially become range aggregate. It is <laughs> you know, it is part of the range now. So when I worked at Faxon, we were right next to you the one year and it was like, can we move? <laughs> that's got to be the, that's the rite of passage. It is. It's, it's got to be. I think that might be something that Brandy does to people and she doesn't tell them. You're like, oh, this is your first range day. You're going right next to CMMG. We'll see if you're back. If you're back, you deserve to be back. 
everybody tries to find something more hateful to put next to you and it just doesn't work i love it when brandy puts like a suppressor company right next to me i'm like <laughs> you realize nobody's gonna know if that thing's working very well or not because they can't hear a thing i mean it could be working great because they definitely are not hearing their gun <laughs> um I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> right. and so that actually might be a good sales, you know, sales tactic for him. Be like, you can't hear it, can you? <laughs> Never mind that that's so loud. But yeah, you can't hear it. It works great. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm impressed that you have hearing. Well, I mean, I'll, so to, so to go on that little tangent, if we want to, I'll go ahead and tell everybody right now: invest in quality eye in ear pro. Yes. Um, I I have a very, very good set of EarPro that I've used for years. They were not cheap. Um, and I will attribute the fact that I still have hearing to that. So, of course, I haven't told you how loud they had to crank these up for me to hear you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, that's the, like I said, that's the highlight of every ranch day is you guys going out. Um, so, you guys. Yeah, the one show that I went to, went to the Gundys. Yeah. And they put us right next to Dylan. <laughs> I'm like, all right, they're really trying to have a somebody show us up now. I was like, you have a minigun? Uh, <laughs> okay. Can't quite compete with that, but. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> so you guys um, for years have done a ton of different shows. Uh, up until recently, you guys have not done some of the bigger shows. What, what was the decision behind not doing shot and things like that? Um, I mean, honestly, it's part of it is there is it, it's very hard to judge a good return on investment for that show. Um, it for for people that aren't in the industry, uh, for manufacturers and vendors, that is a hefty expense. Uh, I won't go into the dollar amount, but if you just think about it, um, you know, it's, it's NSSF's biggest show and biggest fundraiser essentially of the year. Um, and vendors have to pay for their square footage. So that's one expense. You literally are paying to say, okay, I want to set up a booth in this space. Well, then you're going to have the cost of the booth. Then you have the labor to set it up. Then you have, um, you know, the different fees associated with the, you know, the convention centers, unions and stuff to, to maintain and everything. Then you have staffing. Then you have lodging, airfare to get them there, feed them while they're there, making sure you're still paying their wages while they're there. And you're looking at a very, you know, big show. And we bring a fair amount of staff because we're one of those people that, if you're standing in front of me at a trade show and you want to talk to me about your, about my gun, I don't care what your badge says. I'm going to talk to you about my gun. You know, I mean, there are certain people at SHOT Show that you can go to a to one of the exhibitor booths, and if your badge says manufacturer or vendor, they kind of ignore you. They're like, they're not going to buy anything from you. Like, you know what? Me, Mike, personally, the non-CMMG guy, I want to buy your stuff. I'm here to talk to you about it. But if you don't want to talk to me about it, I'm going to feel a little bit less about your product. So I don't even care what your badge says. If you're, if you're standing in front of me, I'm going to talk to you about my gun. I've experienced that. Um, you know, I've walked around, I've done both. I've done a booth and I've walked around shot show and there's been show, uh, one shot show in particular. Uh, I won't say what company and what company I was working for at the time, but I walked up to him 
and we were doing stuff with him and i was like oh i just want to see because this is a cool collaboration and uh they kind of like shoved me away i'm like that rubbed me the wrong way and it really mm-hmm. like i was like this is supposed to be a community we're supposed to be ha- friends and hanging out and right. you're pushing me away from this so um well, I mean, there's there's a little bit of depth to that, too. I'd like to think that not everybody is going to kind of be that way. Um, but you also have to stop and think, too. When you are getting into some of the big trade shows like that, depending on the size of the company, sometimes they hire people out to work the booth that might not be as versed on the product. You know, and they might just kind of be told, um, this is assumptions <laughs> based off of just different experiences. This isn't anything that, you know, we at CMMG have done. It, like you're, you're going to see people that are, they're going to, they're going to set the hook. Like, okay, this is a dealer that they show this much interest or they're a wholesaler or they're a big buyer. You know, they set the hook and then they get them into a room to actually make the deals. Um, if your badge doesn't show that you can possibly even get into that room, they're probably not going to talk to you much. And I've seen you guys, and I'm, I've seen you guys kind of shift from those shows to doing a lot of media at, in Boonville, and having people out. Are you guys seeing a better ROI from doing it that way? And we can de- we can definitely gauge it a yeah. lot better. I mean, we we have a real time. Hey, we did this, and we immediately saw this as a return. You know, um, or you know, it, it, you have a captive audience, so. You know, kind of circling back to things we just talked about and kind of compressing them all together, you know, we, we did build the outpost um, and we did quit doing larger shows like, you know, SHOT and NRA AM. Um, but the money we saved on not doing those allowed us to build the outpost. So if you want to have an idea of like the kind of money involved there, um, we were able to purchase land, build a range, excavate it, build a clubhouse and everything uh, in lieu of doing those big shows. Um, but the nice thing about this is, you know, now we can bring people in and we have a captive audience. When they come in, they're seeing CMMG product and CMMG product only. They don't have to say, hang on, what was that gun we just saw five minutes ago at that one booth with that dude that did the, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, have to, you have to be able to have something memorable at a show where we're going to bring you in and we're going to get you invested in CMMG. You know, you, we're going to bring you in. We're going to let you see the manufacturing process. We're going to let you, you know, test each one of the guns because the best thing to do to be able to get the word out is, you can say you've seen a video on a particular gun all day long, but if you've never pulled the trigger on it, you you, do, you don't have that you know firsthand experience, which speaks volumes. Um, so, the more people we can bring in and let them get firsthand real world experience with our guns, that's going to sell them. Yeah, I've been uh, really blessed. Uh, I will say that to be able to uh, go to range days with you guys, got to handle some products, did some reviews for you, uh, on some of your products over the years. And I, I will say this: that go buy a CMMG. That's my pitch. Uh, <laughs> I will. I I can go into more details, but just go go check out CMMG. <laughs> go buy their stuff. Um, I too am gonna say go buy CMMG. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, slightly shifting gears. I know that at Gunstock, we had a, a team there. Mm-hmm. You guys were obviously there. Um, and you said some stuff and, and people who want to kind of scroll back into the archives, 
um, can can watch the video that you did talking about how you know we work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say that it is so exciting and um, reinvigorating for us and our membership to see a company like CMMG talk about um, how good the Second Amendment is. Yeah. And you guys bring some amazing products to the range and some full autos that mm-hmm. everyone wants to have, mm-hmm. but unfortunately politics and, and policies have made that so um, foreign to the the culture of today. Well, you were just dancing around this right, a little bit, aren't you? You, you, I, I'm thinking about being a lot more direct. Basically, Go for ba- it. Basically, you're, 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 you're implying, in my opinion, or I'm inferring, um, that there is a non-lawmaking body out there that is regulating firearms. Yes. Yeah. How'd you know? <laughs> Man, it's like they got a three-letter word. I know, right? I mean. Well, actually, it's actually five. Well. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's a bureau. It's a, uh, you know, <laughs> and you've got explosives. And they have explosives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a convenience store, really. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> the ultimate convenience store, actually. I mean, it it should be a convenience store. You but. know, fun fact it is. Yeah. So uh, There was actually one in Columbia, Missouri. Really? Because yes. I, uh, I had to stop, and it was in, uh, it was in Arizona um, on the way to the Big Sandy machine gun shoot. And we're looking, and we're like, ATF convenience store. What the heck is that? And um, so we ended up just like deciding to make a detour just as a group. We're like, well, this is either going to be really great or you like super <laughs> disappointing. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. 10 out of 10 recommend whoever <laughs> like the owner wasn't there because like we wanted to shake his hand and be like, this is awesome. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a what a concept. Oh, it's perfect. I mean, that that is that that is uh Painting, yeah, those three letters in a positive light. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, any infringement is too many. I mean, and, and it doesn't matter what it is. If it's, I mean, if, if I want to kind of get on the uh, activist side of things, I don't care. Uh, a bump stock. It's a piece of plastic. Mm-hmm. It's not a firearm. It's definitely not a machine gun. It's Amen. A, it's an accessory. It is a piece of plastic that you put on the gun. Yep. Uh the pistol braces. <laughs> um, that has been, I mean, and, and the thing is, they are, they're systematically like just trying to just wear us down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like, it, it feels like they just keep barraging us with so much stuff that something's going to slide through or yeah. we're going to be like, oh, okay, this again. Okay, I'll give you this. Don't have this, you know? Yeah. But that's where it is. It's like, you know, it's always those little bits, you know, all the people that are, um, you know, anti-gun that are, you know, hey, I want to have, you know, um, universal background checks or common sense gun control. I mean, it just makes my brain hurt thinking about that um, terminology. Yeah. Because for one, the background checks already exist. Okay, there are other reasons that the systems in place might not be working. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you can't make murder more illegal. Absolutely. You know, so it's, um, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is, pro Second Amendment arguments 
are so simple, they almost sound like trivial or just like they almost sound childish when you're just when you just kind of say them. Um, but it's it, it's because it is that simple um, that they have to anti gunners have to come up with a convoluted mess to confuse people into thinking that they are bad. Absolutely. I mean, it all goes down to the founders pinned 27 words. Yeah. 27 words. Yep. And they conveyed the whole message. Yeah. And it's so, the reason that I, I, to, I so agree with what you're saying with the gun control sounds convoluted is because we understand innately in ourselves that this is a right that is a natural right. Mm -hmm. It's not a government-granted right. And I know we say this every episode and on GOA all the time. It, you have a right that is constitutionally protected, not government-granted. Period. Full stop. Like, that's it. And it is so crazy when you look at how many words and how... Um, how much legalese has to take place for all of the gun control that has happened from the time that they passed the second amendment to now. And it's, we talk about the ATF's war on plastic and it has significant ramifications. Yeah. And, you know, GOA sister organization, gun owners foundation, and they did a, a video one of their video series is called Bullet Points. And they went through the history of pistol braces and it predates the Second Amendment. Like, when you go back to what Buren said, when you go back to how GOF and GOA have argued for the Second Amendment, throughout the history of our organization, and for GOA it was 76, and for GOF it was 83. We've been doing this for a decent amount of time. Right. We've always gone back to the text, history, and tradition right. of the Second Amendment. And guess what? When you go back to that, you see that, especially with the pistol brace argument, that they they really don't they don't stand a chance. Yeah. Well, you know, the pistol brace makes things shoot faster, right? You know, like, that was said on the hill. Yeah. And I just love how. I can't remember who said it, but he's like, the internet is going to eat you alive for saying that, that the pistol brace made the gun shooter. I just want the gun that has a hundred rounds in the chamber. I'm sorry. That sounds <laughs> dope. <laughs> I was like, there, there, there are so many things that have just been, there's so many fallacies that have been spewed out of certain politicians mouths. Um, that is just, it, it, it makes us cringe because we realize how horrible and how just flat out dumb they sound. Mm -hmm. um, but the people that aren't educated on firearms, it's it either makes them scared or it makes them go, oh, yeah, these guys make sense. It's yeah. like and that's the thing is like they can lie faster than we can tell the truth. Well, um, it, what is the famous saying that a lie circles the globe, what, three times before the, the truth puts on its shoes? Like, who said that? I it don't was, know, but uh, I like uh, Somebody's going to have to look that up I for me. Know. It's like, wasn't it Mark Twain? I'm pretty sure it, it was Mark it Twain. It might be Mark Twain. I mean. We'll attribute it to somebody. Listen, Go, uh, the Google machine knows what I'm talking about. Right. Well, I mean, the, the nonsense that has been said 
just in the last five years, like thirty caliber clip, thirty caliber <laughs> clip uh, shoots it all in half a second. Yeah, AR fifteen weighs as much as fifty shipping boxes. You know, like. Dude, I, 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 am, I am She-Hulk, if that is true. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? The amount of damage an AR-15 round does, you know, the 5.56 five, round, it just... Oh, it, it blows, yeah. Nine mil blows a lung clear out. Like My, my favorite, though, is the possible attachment from USA Today that they put the chainsaw on the bottom <laughs> of it. Possible attachments, chainsaw. I'm like, well, yeah! <laughs> 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 I was like, hang on, you got something we can support now. Yeah. <laughs> It's so insane, the disinformation campaign. And we talk about the vilification of a firearm, right? And it's because every day good people own firearms. Yep. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think the culture and the mindset of the anti-gun left is like, all of these people are dangerous. And the reality is, is that gun owners are everyday people they work in the same offices as you do. You're probably friends with them. Yep. Your kids in Little League together. They go to church with you, assuming that you go to church. Like all of these things, like we're just everyday people. Yeah. And this has been something that has been a part of our culture since the very beginning. But the problem is that they want to control the narrative so much that they can't accept the fact that we are good and normal people. Right. I mean, just flying in here last night, um, we, uh, our, our plane had rocket boosters or something going because we landed a solid half an hour before we were supposed to. Uh, so we got a heck of a tailwind. We actually, they like parked us at some remote spot on the runway because the plane before us was still at the gate. Oh, wow. So we're just like sitting out there. So there's this guy in the row in front of me and we're we're talking about camera gear and photo gear and stuff. So we just start, you know, start having a conversation about, you know, videography, photography, microphones, new cool gear and stuff that's coming out. And we're just sitting there having this conversation. And then as we're getting off the plane, he's like, oh, you're in town for business. Like he was like, the, what I did for a living never came up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm in town to do a podcast. And he's like, oh, really? What about? And. Sometimes, I, I hate to say it, but it's kind of taboo to mm -hmm. talk about in public because you don't know what kind of scene that person or how they're going to react. So I just kind of generally said Second Amendment. And you could see the processing. Like, you, you could almost kind of see, like, he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. <laughs> did I just offend him? And he's just like, or he was just like, hang on, this guy was cool. Now he's not. I don't I don't know what yeah. was going on in his head. Um, but, you know, we both were just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a polarizing topic right now. And he's like, yeah, it is. He's like, good luck with that. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's genuine, but if it is cool, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, at church, um, in Missouri at least, uh, in order to carry concealed in a church, you have to have permission. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, I was seeking permission to carry my church, but they do it basically by committee because they have a bunch of pastors. So they collectively, it's like majority, yes, you're good. Majority, no, you can't. Um, and everybody I talked to was like, you're not going to get this one to, to change his mind. And he's the one that's going to, he's going to be, he's going to be the deciding factor. And uh, so I never really talked to anybody about you know, me being a pro gun guy or anything of that sort. And, yeah. you know, I just came to church, you know, did my thing, went home, you know, and, uh, I was, uh, I was running our local gun store at the time and something happened in the news 
And inevitably, people always come because the University of Missouri has a really big journalism school. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a lot of people that uh, hot topic uh, like Second Amendment or firearms. They always want to come talk to me. Uh, so I'm like, all right, well, just so you know, I'm also recording this because I've been I've had things taken out of context or you've said my words in a different way. So I have proof of exactly how that conversation went. Um, they printed my interview in a newspaper. And it uh, came to print on a Saturday. And the next morning, I'm at church. And the lead pastor, like, literally comes up to me. He's like, hey, Mike, I want to talk to you. And I'm just like, oh, he knows who I am. <laughs> you know? It was a fairly large church. Uh, and so he's, he, just, he just came up to me. He's like, hey, I, I saw that article and that interview you did in the paper yesterday. I'm like, yeah. Like, I've been completely off of his radar for so long. He's like, I just want to say, he's like, that was really well said. He goes, you brought up some points that I never really considered to think about it from your perspective. And I'm wow. just like, I opened his eyes. You yeah. Know? And I was like. And that's so important. Yeah. First of all, did not realize that was a law in Missouri. That's crazy. It's the same way in Ohio, too. Really? Yeah. There's Man. A, yeah. With the Missouri's concealed carry, there's like seven places you can't carry in churches. Church yeah. on Sunday and listen. So I live in a great state and I I love it, but it's just I don't Missouri has really good gun laws, um, but there there are a few there are a few what we would call poison pills that get yeah. put into there on occasion. But that's I, crazy. I had the same experience as Mike. So in college, my senior thesis paper was about campus carry, and my uh, professor at the time, who was in charge of my senior thesis, was. Uh, he wasn't anti-2A, but he wasn't really pro-2A. And I get over to, uh, like, I write up the first half of my paper, and I send it to him. And the first words out of his mouth is, any God-fearing American wouldn't carry in a church. You know, when I grew up, when I lived in Texas, we had to hang our church our guns in the, the vestibule, and then we went in the church. By the time I was done uh, with the paper, he called me in, and we, uh, we talked for a little bit. He's like, you kind of changed my mind. He goes, I didn't know, because it's we- Ohio is weird, and I went to, I'll, I'll say, I went to Kent State, um, which, if anybody knows anything about Kent State, there's a little bit of history there's there. There's a little history. There's a little history there. Um, and uh, I actually graduated, like, the year after uh, Caitlin did. Um, and uh, so part of my paper in Ohio, the co- the public colleges are owned by the state. So if you went to school, you weren't allowed to carry on campus. But if you were just the general public walking through campus just because you're walking through, you were allowed to carry. There was no, like, in, in between, like, oh, you're, you're, if I was a student or if I was going to a building on campus for an event on campus, I couldn't carry. But if I, if I was walking through there after I graduated, I can, and that's why that picture happened, because after she graduated, she could carry on campus. It was legal. So I put it, and he goes, I didn't know that. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a law in the state of Ohio because it's public land. You can carry it. So I changed his mind. He was like, yeah, we should really get campus carry in Ohio. Uh, and I also changed one of my other professors' minds, the same thing, when they found out what I did because I didn't, I didn't like public, same thing. Like, I didn't like talking about it because it's taboo. Um, and I kind of told her, and she's like, hey, uh, I'm kind of thinking about getting into this. Like, what do you recommend? And 
So it's it's cool when you get to that where you're bringing in new people and you're changing their mind. But at the same time, like there's some really weird BS laws out there that, like, because I'm a college student, I can't carry it on campus. But there's things happening on campus that are yeah. pretty bad. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, think about the places that you're typically going to see that type of thing happen. It's going to be campuses of some sort, churches. I mean... Soft targets in general. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that we talk a lot about are these soft targets because you're you're placing, in my opinion, and this is this is Kaylee speaking because this isn't like a uh, fully thought out idea, I guess. This is just me talking to get this out of my brain. (laughs) But there's a certain amount of devaluing of life in a soft target. Because you are intrinsically opening it up to more harm. And I think the in a culture that devalues people is a dangerous culture. Yeah. And that probably wasn't said in a super eloquent way. Right. But, you know, I think when we talk about campus carry and when we talk about churches and we talk about these places that hostility can exist we need to start addressing, well, the lives there matter and they should have the ability to defend themselves and we need to do what we can to ensure that they understand that their life has value and that's why we're allowing and this is why we're encouraging you to carry it and we're, we're working on hardening those areas so that you're not in a soft target situation. Right. Well, one of the things that, you know, going back to the instructor that I used to uh, instruct with and, you know, one of my mentors, uh, he used to go around to a lot of places in Missouri that had, you know, no firearms, no weapons, signs or whatever on their premises. And he would try to talk to the people at those properties and say, you know, essentially you're guaranteeing their safety by saying they can't protect themselves. You know, so he was trying to open it up. He's like, you realize the liability you're opening yourself up to also by not letting someone protect themselves on your premises. Yeah. And he started kind of getting people to think that way. Like, I mean, and and that is one that is one kind of different way to look at it is, okay, you're saying I cannot you're, you're removing my ability to protect myself while I am in your presence. Yeah. So, you, so you're saying you're protecting me. Mm. Oh, you're not protecting me, but I can't protect myself. So if something bad happens to me, um, everything in my power is coming after you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's an excellent point. I also think that they're also leaning towards if criminals want to do criminal things, not only in the the sake of um, going and hurting someone else, but just simply stealing Right. And and potentially breaking in a car and stealing a firearm because that person had no other choice but to, to leave it in their car. I mean, those kind of things also, um, I think, encourage bad behavior Yeah, in many ways. Well, I just talked to somebody in the industry not too long ago about this. They were at a big event and they couldn't get into the armory because something happened and... Somebody broke in their car and stole a bunch of stuff. It's like, cool. So because you guys wouldn't let me drop my stuff up at the armory, 
like you're like I'm supposed to, right? But you know, by the rules of your event, my stuff got stolen. Yeah, it's like, well, and it's I mean, kind of like we've. I, I hate the fact that we're in an industry that, as much as we want to be vocal and as much as we want to be supportive, we still have to tread lightly around certain people, um, just because. Um, like I said, I, I hate the fact that we're, we're, we're this way because like, I want to spread the knowledge and, you know, and squash the ignorance around it. But there, there are times and places to do that. Um, and you know, that's why I kind of dodge it sometimes when people are, Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm in marketing. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can I can kind of deflect if I want to, because I'm like, yeah, the middle of the grocery store, you know, meat aisle is not necessarily the place to get into this heated conversation or, you know, wherever it is. It's like I would I, I invite people all the time. It's like, hey, if, if you have questions, I am happy to sit down and have a conversation with oh, you. Yeah. I was like, but when you're not prepared and you're running strictly off of emotion, Mm-hmm. Um, and not any facts, nothing's going to get done. Well, and that was, uh, so when, when I bought my first house in, in Dayton, uh, well, that's when I worked at Faxon, I, I w- met my neighbors. They did, uh, they were doing a garage sale. So I walked over and he had a, a bayonet sitting there and I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, that's a, what, what gun is that for or whatever? We get to talking, and then he's like, oh, you just moved here. What do you do for a living? And I'm, like, real nervous about saying it, but I kind of got the hint, and he was like, I was like, uh, I work for a firearms manufacturer. And he goes, oh, which one? I'm like, oh, I work for Faxon. And he's like, oh, my God, that, their stuff is so cool. I'm like, okay, cool. I got one good neighbor. <laughs> then, <laughs> then that was the guy behind me, uh, and he was great. Uh, then the guy... Next door to me, same thing. It was like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, he's like, I was like, I work for a firearms manufacturer. Same thing. Cool. Guy across the street. <laughs> same thing. It was cool. Like when you have some pro 2A neighbors, but it's always really worried that I'm like, uh, are you, how pro 2A are you? Let's yeah. Right. Preach the good word to you. But uh, I'm, I'm. You well, know. I think there's, there's something to be said for tactfulness because you're not going to change someone's mind by screaming at them. You're not going to change someone's mind if they are in that heated and emotional state. Anything you say, they're not listening. They're just waiting for their next time to speak and respond. You have to find someone at the right time and the right way, like what happened with your pastor, like what happened with your um, professor, is you have to find the right way to convey at a time when they're willing to actually listen. Right. Um, and if they're not willing to listen, then there's really, they're going to have to come into the community in a different way. Right. And we spend a lot of time talking about what is the on-ramp to the Second Amendment. And I think it changes for different people, different demographics, what's going on and what their response to what's happening is. And there is no one size fits all approach to introducing someone to the second amendment. There's, there's not. Um, In fact, if you look at gun owners foundation and, and GOA, you'll see that what we do varies. Like, for example, we have a, a really 
fun little show called Shots Fired that's geared towards like Gen Z, younger millennial and whatever is after Gen Z. It's very fast paced. It's like neon. It's it's done by Gen Z for Gen Z and they're loving it. And we love that they love it. And like, that's great. Right. On the flip side, there are people who want to watch something like this yeah. and really kind of long form conversations. And then there are people who just care about policy and we have to have something for those people. And if, if it was a one size fits all, it would make every single person's job in marketing so easy yeah. and they would only need to employ like 10 people. What do you period. mean? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, Super easy. Yeah, especially yeah, in our industry. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, so there, there's all the different approaches to the different demographics. But then, I mean, looking at CMMG, I mean, we're an AR manufacturer, okay? Some people want nothing to do with an AR. Mm -hmm. They're cool with every other kind of firearm, you know, but want nothing to do with an AR. Or you have somebody that is huge, you know, AR guy, but keep that AK away from me. Yeah. You know, it's just there, there, there are people that are very particular in their likes and dislikes. Yeah. And then, so you have that split into all the different age demographics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's, it's, marketing and, and well i mean to top it off you have all of the platforms that we try to use to spread the gospel um, <laughs> of the second amendment yeah. uh, to the people that get um censored or suppressed yeah. or you know you, you're they're not getting through the algorithms they're not being you know shown to everybody so or it goes against community guidelines that have changed 10 million times in the last five years yeah i think uh meta and and just big tech in general changed their minds more than the atf and that is genuinely saying something. yeah that's a lot like <laughs> okay so you brought up like People like certain things and things like that. As a manufacturer, and this is what I, I love our community, but this is one thing I hate about our community too. As a manufacturer, you come up with something that you think is innovative, but if you're too far outside of the box, you get hated on. You're like, ah, this is, doesn't fit right, or this isn't. Which like, box? Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, you know, there's there are certain companies out there who have tried throwing things at the wall and seeing if it sticks. And everyone's like, why did they come out with that? What did they do that for? Like as a manufacturer, we're, when you come up with something that you think is innovative, are you like, I'm really worried that people are going to hate this or. You've seen what we've come up with. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, we're to the point now we're like, we're making it. People are going <laughs> to like it or they're not going to like it. Um, certain, certain things, uh, the Mark 57, uh, for example. So when we came out with the Banshee, Chambered in five seven that took in that took a uh, five seven style magazines. Um, we were like, mm, we don't know how well this is going to be received. So when we initially released the Mark fifty seven, it was a limited run. Like we we tooled up to make X amount, and we're like, okay, we hope we sell this many. It went gangbusters, and we're like, okay, now it's part of our lineup. It's no longer a limited production. So, I mean. We we think outside the box so much and, and are always looking at all those different calibers enough that we have ammo manufacturers coming to us going, you know, behind closed doors like, hey, we're working on this new cartridge. 
would you guys support it for launch? Like, hmm, sure, why not? You know, <laughs> and then it releases, and we're like, oh, that round was kind of horrible. Um, so maybe we're not going to sell that gun anymore. But you know, I mean, we're always willing to try. Um, as in any social media, um, anything of that sort. The the first rule for the most part is don't read the comments. Um, people, I'm awful. I'm awful at it. Um, it's it's so it's one of those things. Like it it took me a while to learn this because I I love the company that I work for. I mean, like you, I'm sure you can imagine. Actually, um, I mean, I, I I truly love what I do, who I work for, the you know the people I work for, the people I work with. Um, so whenever somebody is attacking CMMG in the comments. To me, it's a personal attack. Yeah. I'm like, you're attacking my livelihood. Um, but I have to stop and realize this is somebody on the Internet being a person on the Internet. They could have continued to scroll and never even engaged that, you know. But the thing is, a lot of those people are actually trying to get some kind of a rise out of you. If mm -hmm. you respond in the slightest, no matter how kind or whatever you might try to say, they know they got to you because you responded. Yeah. You know, so you could do like certain people that I know that just blanket heart reply, you know, like every comment, it gets a heart. I don't care how, how mean it is or what. They don't respond to anything. They just acknowledge. So it's interaction. Um, so it's, we're, we're not going to win them all. Um, you know, I mean, the roots where we came from, I mean, we came from, you know, piecing together guns at gun shows and what we um, back in the day called our trash can guns. Like we would literally have trash cans full of AR-15s at a gun show. You just come like pull one out and it's like four or $500, you know? Well, since then, you know, we've, we've invested a lot. And a lot of people don't realize that too is certain people won't always like our prices. Um, but people don't realize what it goes into to get to that to be released to the public. Mm. Um, so you'll see people, they're like, oh, you sent this to this many YouTubers. I'm like, well, we have to advertise in some way, shape, or form um, this product that we've been working on behind the scenes for two years. You know, it's like the development process could be two years, could be more, who knows. And so we're actively paying engineers and all that stuff to work on a project that we're making no money on while they're working on it, you know, so people don't realize that. And then you have the T and E you have the, you have the time to figure out how to get the machines programmed to, to CNC it and things of that sort. So there's, okay, let's build up a test model. Oh, everything looked good on paper, but that didn't work once we actually put it into practice. Now we got to go back and figure out where that disconnect is. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort put into stuff behind the scenes that people just think, you know, when we released the 45, you know, and everything kind of fell through, everybody was like, when's the 10 millimeter coming out? We were one of the first companies to come out with a 10 millimeter functional 10 millimeter AR. A lot of people had had them at SHOT Show and stuff and said, hey, look at this coming. And we've still never seen it to this day. Um, and so we actually succeeded in getting that out there. And, but people thought, well, you already have the 45. It takes the same size magazines, but the feed limp, you know, like shelf is at a different height. So it technically doesn't take the same magazine, whereas it is diam, you know, um, 
physical dimensions right for the magwell, it doesn't seat at the same spot. And yeah. they're like, well, you could just take that, move it up, and rechamber it. Well, 45 pressures are completely different than 10 millimeter pressures. It's not simply rechambering. You all of a sudden have to start looking at, you know, spring rates and things and, you know, bolt thrust and, you know, all those different specs. And we're like, okay, is this, is the metal of this extractor going to hold up to this abuse? Do we need to change the metal on the extractor? Whatever the case is. So people don't realize um, all the little stuff. They, they think, oh, it is that easy to make it. Like, if it is that easy, I mean, I, I hate to sound like, you know, uh, you know, a wise guy, but if, if it is that easy, go start an FFL, go start a manufacturing process and see how easy this stuff actually is. Well, you brought up one of my biggest pet peeves about the industry right now. Um, and that's showing something off a shot, getting all the reactions, getting everything built, getting like everyone. Well, I it's want made it a vaporware. I want it now, but it's vaporware. Yeah. Like I've had long conversations with marketing guys around the, the country and I'm gonna call call it what it is. Uh one of the best at doing a launch is Springfield. Okay. They've got guns in, in hands yep. uh, in the market that and I've talked to the I've talked to a couple owners of companies, a couple marketing guys. I'm like, why aren't you doing this? Like you under you've seen there's a template here. Do the template. And and they're like, well, you know, we just want to launch it the old school way because that's the way everyone does it. Right now, our society is so instant gratification mm -hmm. and instant want. If you don't capture on that, as soon as you go, yeah, this product is cool, the hype is gone by the time you decide to launch it. Right. And it's a, I feel bad for them because I get, I get it. I get it. There's a lot of time and money that goes into it. You don't want to put something out if it's not going to sell. But at the same time, you got to take the risk sometimes. Well, that's that's been one of our approaches every time we come up with something new is we typically don't announce it until we are ready. Like we have it, we've either already got some produced and in the queue or we are 100% producing and just waiting to assemble. Um, but we typically don't go to market unless we are ready for it. Or there have been a couple of times where we'll release something and it might be a pre-order, um, but the pre-order is like typically no longer than like a month. Right. You know, so, but we, we're, we typically never come to market with something that isn't fully realized, isn't, isn't ready to be manufactured, if not already be shipped. Like the Mark 47 Descent that just came out yesterday. Um, you know, we had, we had a plan in place so that dealers could order it prior. And as of it being live, you know, yesterday, there are going to be certain dealers. You could have walked into their store yesterday and bought one off the shelf. You know, so um, they went live on our website yesterday. You could purchase them on our website yesterday. So, I mean, that that's one of the things is like, you know, we've got to do this right. Um, you know, it, admittedly, we probably don't have enough in, you know, in production at the moment for the demand that we're hoping it's going to generate. Um, but with that growth that we had last year in the machining and the factory and stuff, we're going to be able to at least keep the wait time down and be able to fulfill fairly quickly. So we're, we're hoping that, um, you know, it, it, we, we've seen that enough too, where you, you have something that becomes vaporware and we, we just don't, we don't like to subscribe to that. Well, it, and it, it makes your customer base mad. Uh, or it makes them like everything makes our customer well, base. <laughs> <laughs> you're, 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 you're not wrong, but like I've seen companies go 
to shot and go to the other big shows and they've got this new cool thing on the floor mm-hmm. and everyone's like yeah i want it and then 12 months later it may i, I want to throw one company under the bus if i can but i don't want to it's like i i would say this with as much love as possible because i own one of these firearms finally after the four and a half years it took from them introducing it to actually getting it in people's hands um it's a certain bullpup shotgun <laughs> <laughs> yes, that um, everybody wanted that. They drummed up so much hype for it, and it literally took four years. Well, it might not have been literally four years, but it felt like four years. It was at least three <laughs> before anybody got their hands up. Perspective is reality, though, well, and those yeah. sort of things, especially in an Amazon age where people expect right two days. Like it's it, it's not. It's not possible in so many. Well, we've actually had to shift our manufacturing um, technique or policy Um, forever. We have been a uh, build to own company. So, or um, build to order. Sorry. Uh, So when you go to our website and you place the order, we don't manufacture that firearm until you have placed the order because we have a multitude of colors. And let's face it, compared to a lot of AR manufacturers, we have a lot of choices. Yeah. Um, so being able to know what inventory to keep on hand sometimes could be hit and miss. We're like, oh, this is trending right now. Let's build up some of this because everybody wants one. And then something happens and all of a sudden nobody wants that and they want the new hotness. Um, so being having an idea of what to keep on hand has always been tricky. So we always built when you ordered it. Um, but now with all the new manufacturing and everything that we have in house, we're able to get ahead of that. So we actually do have inventory on hand for a lot of things. So hopefully we have the right things on, on hand, but inevitably it's going to be like, Oh, there'll be a new color that's trending that we're like, Oh, that wasn't very popular. We didn't have very many of those in stock. So, (laughs) so I am curious and I don't know if you guys have this, this sort of thing, um, or data for this sort of thing. But is there a difference in what colors sell between male and female? Like, do you do you know? I, I don't really think there's that much of a difference. I mean, I, I think um, everybody has their own perspective on what they think is cool. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we're, we definitely... We don't sell pink ARs because I don't think anybody would actually buy them. No. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, coming from the uh, gun store background, you know, I, I would definitely was not the uh, gun store uh, salesman that saw a female walk in the door and said, oh, you need a pink lady. Oh, you know, thank you. Bless you. <laughs> um, my, my, my first rule, I mean, what people didn't typically realize is, all right, it's small. Yeah. You think petite. You, 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 your brain just is going to associate that with that might be something that I want to get from my fiance. Um, but ultimately, so this is the instructor side of me um, going is you want something that is going to be comfortable in your hand um, and enough power for you to shoot and not be uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. carry the biggest caliber you can in the most comfortable platform possible. Um, and then just base it off of that because like, when I first start, started into the industry, um, the new hotness at the time was like the Ruger LCP, mm-hmm. um, little pocket 380, 
Yep. That started a huge conceal and carry craze. Like, I mean, you didn't see as much conceal and carry until that gun came out. Then all of a sudden, everybody's conceal and carrying those in crossbreed holsters. I mean, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> yeah, those two things. And you you had a, you had a great combination. Um, but what people didn't realize is you had no ability to grip that gun very well. Um, it felt like a firecracker going off in your hand. It was not comfortable to shoot. It had a horrendous trigger. Um, there were so many things wrong with that gun, but it fit a specific, you know, place in the market. Mm-hmm. But, and everybody came in saying, you need that. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, hang on. Does a Glock 26 fit you better? Does a Glock 19 fit you better? I don't care what the gun is. If it's comfortable in your hand and you can shoot it well, we will find a way for you to carry it, you know? Yeah, that was, uh, I remember being had the two guns that got brought back the most when I was behind the counter was LCPs and bodyguards. Bodyguards. All the time. All the time. Yeah, I remember, I, I, like, their slides, for me, their slides would lock up oh, a yeah. lot on those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but, I mean, the little 380s, everybody thought you had to have a little 380. And for just a little bit more money, you could have got a gun that fit you way better. Because, I mean, let's face it. When the bodyguard came out, when they initially came out, they all had lasers on them. Oh yeah, you know. So you had the three, you had the thirty-eight bodyguard, and you had the three-eighty bodyguard. Let's not get started on people not knowing the difference between a thirty-eight and a three-eighty. <laughs> the people hurt. The people see a three and an eight, and they think they're the same. They're not. <laughs> What's that? That's a whole uh, different rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. So now, now you have the whole thing of, yeah, I, I bought this ammo for my wife's gun and it doesn't work. What'd you get? I got her this revolver. Well, that's 380. That's for a semi automatic. What's the difference? I remember a guy, he came in the one time and he's like adamant that his gun was a 9mm Mac. And I'm like, okay, I'll sell you the ammo if that's what you want. No, it's a 380. And he it was an LCP. It yeah. was like trying to shove nine mil Makarov into the three. I'm like, oh my goodness! So it's a nine millimeter Kurtz. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it's a nine millimeter small little gun. I'm like, okay. Uh, you brought up a good point about something. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising, right? Um, so we saw you. You brought up the point about how like something's hot, and then something cheaper might come out, and we saw that, and I hate bring up company names but they are no longer in business so i can bring it up we saw that with hudson they had such a cool product yeah and then they came out with they at shot they were like hey we got this new gun that's going to be coming out and it was way cheaper than their other gun and it killed them yeah because they didn't have any ready and they were so i like as a marketer you gotta just think in your head like what was why why would you do that to yourself if you're not prepared to have stuff ready to ship. Yeah. I mean, that was, and and, uh, and I'm not trying to throw uh, fuel on the fire or anything yeah. here, but I mean, they essentially were a, a one trick pony, Yeah, you know, with, with the, uh, what was it, the H11? What was it? H9. H9. Yeah. Yeah. H9 makes sense. Um, Yeah. I mean, when they came out with that and uh, it was my understanding that it was kind of like the last ditch effort it shot. Like they, like, it is, this is going to get picked up at shot or it's not. Um, so they were already r- really kind of treading water and then realizing, okay, they've got a, a price point um, to hit and realizing that it's not for everybody. I mean, it, I, the, no pun intended, if they'd stuck to their guns um, and, you know, just stuck with the, the H9, 
there was a market for it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have had one. Um, and right as about the time they were tailing off, I was able to possibly get one, but I'm like, there's no support for it now. Right. I was like, uh, I was like, I want that gun so bad, but uh, I they, think somebody bought the rights to it. I don't know who. I heard that, uh, but, but I've I've seen nothing of yeah, it. Yeah. I'm like, please bring it back. It was cool. It was a really cool gun. A cool idea, but same thing. Like, it got thrown to the wayside. Earlier, we were talking about just the the uh, non lawmaking body that yeah. makes laws. Um, a, a lot of people, I, I have seen uh, people get irritated at us because we comply um, by changing our pistols and not having pistol braces on them. Or we made the descent, um, which doesn't have a buffer tube at all on it. And then you have a lot of people that are like, well, you guys are essentially bending the knee and you're complying to what the ATF says. Well, as a manufacturer, our piece of paper that says we can do business and make these guns is issued by that particular organization. Yeah. Uh, so it's while we as people in the background, you know, from ownership, management, our officers, you know, down to me, whoever, um, you know, we all have our beliefs in the Second Amendment and how it should be done. And we all personally comply or don't comply depending on what might be said. Uh, but as a manufacturer that have can have a particular government agency come in and say, you're no longer doing business, um, you know, we, we unfortunately have to tread lightly in that area too. Yeah, no, and listen, that's not that's not a dumb thing to do, right? Um, you have to be able, in order for you to come up with the next thing, in order for us to move the needle of innovation, we have to have manufacturers that are able to come out with new products. Right. Now, when it comes to the ATF's war on plastic, like the, the great thing about it is, is I think we have a, a really strong and firm ability to, to win this. And I think that they they went way, way too far. And I think they know it. Yeah. And I think that the fact that the bump stock case is headed to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Not that I have like a, a, a crystal ball. Right. That's what it is. Crystal yeah. ball, you know, to see the future. I do think that it is an important thing to to realize that if everyone went out of business and then it was overturned that that they didn't have the authority which is what should happen if there are no companies left right there are no companies left and so you have to make strategic decisions in the battle for our rights and i think that the fact that especially on the pistol brace side that the joint house resolution was passed by the house that said to the atf no 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 uh, you don't have that authority that you're claiming to redefine anything and everything to yeah. to restrict. No, you you can't just make 30 million Americans felons overnight. Like right. those things are positive in the fight, but we can't afford for the industry to die in the process of a legal battle. Right. And that is an important distinction that has to be said. And, you know, we applaud companies that are able to and willing to stand beside us in those fights and 
and understand what GOA does and what our members allow us to do when it comes to fighting those things in the court. And beyond our own case, when it comes to pistol braces, we have also submitted amicus briefs in other cases to strengthen arguments um, so that, listen, I'll just get very real. To GOA, we want nothing more than to see a Second Amendment restored so that we are out of business. We would love for our rights to be so protected that we're not needed. Right. And because that is our highest value, we're willing to lock arms and and work with other groups. We're not so siloed that we we won't <coughs> do what is in the best interest of the Second Amendment. Yeah. Now, I as Kaylee and and as GOA, we feel very strongly that we're working for the best gun organization. Because why would I want to work for the second best? Right. Right. So I'm very proud of the organization that I work for. And I, I think that, you know, we are are doing what we need to do. But there's this um this drummed up media driven narrative that all of the, the gun organizations are like infighting and listen. As far as we are concerned, as far as GOA is concerned, we want to see a restoration of our rights, and that's why we do the amicus briefs. That's why we file lawsuits on our own. That's why we do what we do with our members backing us up every step of the way. And that goes for the industry, too. We, At the end of the day, if they kill the industry... They've killed the Second Amendment. I want to stand up and applaud right now, but it'd be a little weird on a podcast. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, I, I as Mike, wholeheartedly agree. I'm sure I could speak on behalf of many people in my organization too. I mean, um, we weren't part of the GOA um, um, lawsuit, but mm-hmm. you know, we we were actually part of another one of the lawsuits down in Texas um, yeah. regarding the pistol brace ban. So, I mean, we're we're putting our mo- money where our mouth is. I mean, that's one of those things too. Is it's just it's it, it it's gone way too far. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it should have never gotten to this, and just I. I, I could continue on for much longer than I am, so I, I, I need to just, you know, stymie it a little bit. But Well, since we ended on that note, where can everyone find you, all of your socials, websites, plug everything that you want to? I think we need a part two after this, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we need a part two. Well, for one, everybody go check out the new Mark 47 Descent that just released November 7th. Hopefully your dealer has it. If not, it is available on our website, which is cmmg.com. Um most of our socials are just going to be CMMG or CMMG Inc. Um, so I don't have them all memorized off um, off the top of my head. Obviously, we're, uh, um, we got completely nuked from Facebook many years ago. Um, and we're just like, yeah, we're okay. We're not back on that one. But, uh, you know, uh, YouTube, Instagram, um, we actually are in the process of getting a new social media person um, on board. So you're going to probably start seeing us on a lot more things like X and Rumble and Truth and, you know, as many platforms as we can get out there on, we're going to have most likely either just CMMG or CMMG Inc. But CMMG.com 
we'll take you to all of the the goodness that we have for sale. Well, perfect, Mike. Thank you again. We hey, will definitely me. get a part two with you because I feel like there's another two hours worth of conversation here somewhere. At least, at least. <laughs> so uh, again, appreciate you being on. Right, thanks for having me, and uh, we'll see y'all next time. Yeah, because uh, if it kills, then yeah. I don't want to uh, keep. Sorry. Going. No, 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 no. It's not a. It's not a you thing. Uh, it's a.